Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, considering, well, everything that's going on, but don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> are you talking about the uh, the Royals and their uh, stellar record? Uh, potentially, yes. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that in just a minute, but also joining us is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? Uh, you know, I'm I'm huffing less copium than I was on Saturday. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> copium? What's that? That's uh, that's the the kids say that, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm it's, not a kid. Uh, I'm like an old. When you when you think when you're like, oh no, things are way better than than you say they are. You kids, I, are I may be go. getting that completely wrong. I'm not one of the kids. <laughs> well, I think Greg is closer to a kid than the rest of us. Uh, also joining us, a new writer, Greg Walker. Uh, longtime readers may know him as. Craig Walker, which is not his name, it's Greg Walker. Uh, Greg, how are you doing tonight? Uh, pretty good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Jeremy, I think your use of copium was pretty appropriate there. I'll give you about an 8 out of 10 on that, so well done. That was youth approved. Uh, and Greg, uh, it's great to have you on, and I know you're not a stranger to podcasts. You have your own podcast that you've been doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so my friend and I have been running our own baseball podcast. It's called Bat Flips and Infield Shifts for just about a year now, actually. Our last episode, our first episode was on May 20th of last year, so getting up to that one-year mark. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're not any particular team-focused, just looking at basically MLB as a whole, and we do a college show also. So if you're interested on that, again, it's Bat Flips and Infield Shifts. You can find that on Spotify or most likely wherever else you get your podcasts. And we'll include a link uh, with that in the Royals Review page for the uh, for the this episode. Um, but I did want to have Greg on because uh, you know at the end I think we'll talk a little bit about the draft, some names to know. Uh, so it'll be nice to get that perspective since you follow college baseball. But first, I think we should get to the big story in the room. That is the Royals stink at baseball. They uh, we're already we're recording this as of Wednesday night. They have fallen to nine and eighteen. That's a 333 winning percentage, fourth worst record in baseball, uh, behind only the the Reds who aren't even trying anymore, the Tigers who are kind of surprisingly bad, and the Nationals who are pretty clearly in a rebuilding year as well. I think any hope that the Royals could turn this season around uh, may have been, if not dashed, at least severely damaged when they went one and three on this road trip to start. Uh, uh, this is supposed to be a road trip against some non-contenders like the Baltimore Orioles, the Texas Rangers, and then the Colorado Rockies and. So far, they've dropped three out of four against Baltimore and Texas to start this road trip. They have the third worst run differential. Greg, we'll start with you since you're the new rider. What's wrong with this team? Man, they're so uninteresting that they're playing game right now. And instead of watching that, I'm watching the University of Southern Mississippi playing against Ole Miss, which if you know anything about college baseball, midweek games don't really matter that much. And I would still rather watch that than watch the current iteration of the Kansas City Royals. Because, I mean, it seems like getting off to a slow start was kind of a Royals tradition for, you know, some years now. But this just, it, it feels different this year. Because, you know, 2018 and 2019, it was like they're clearly rebuilding. We know they're not going to be that good. And sure enough, they go on and lose 100 games, whatever. And then 2020 COVID year, and they were basically sunk from the start. But, you know, going into last year, 2021, there was some optimism, right? I mean, they signed some free agents when most teams didn't bother doing so. You know, they had highly rated prospects knocking on the door. And I looked back, and Max, you even wrote in the season preview for 2021, it's time to win. And <laughs> noted how in the fourth year of rebuilds, that's often when you start to see results. 
And then they got off to that hot start in April, just completely imploded in May. And suddenly it went from let's be competitive in 2021 to let's see what we have for 2022. And now here we are, it's 2022 and the team still sucks. And now it's like, let's see what we have for 2023. It just feels like the timeline is continually being pushed back. And it's just getting to the point where, I mean, when are we getting out of this thing? Like just when we thought we were seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, it suddenly seems like we're still just wandering the wilderness. Yeah, and I, I don't think a lot of people had serious, uh, you know, uh, visions of a Royals pennant run this year. Um, you know, I think the most optimistic fans were like, well, well, maybe we'll hang around 500, maybe be on the periphery of a wild card race. But, like, to be this bad, uh, and Matthew, you know, 9 and 18, that's that, that seems like it's it's worse than, it's, it's just a bad, another bad start. And we've seen a lot of these bad starts. Um, and it seems like we've kind of hit with the fan base, uh, kind of a, a, a tipping point or, or maybe they've hit the wall, let's say like, you know, this rebuild has taken, you know, when we're in year five, like, like Greg said, and yet, um, it doesn't seem like we're that much closer. I mean, we're, you know, a little, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think you'd argue maybe we've taken baby steps because we have young players now, whereas 2018 we didn't, but. Um, I don't know that a lot of fans have hope that they're going to be good. What What's your take on why this fan base has maybe kind of really hit the wall when it comes to this team? Yeah, it's so this is this is all kind of fascinating. And one thing that I that I want to say, well, th- this is fascinating. Discussion about why the Royals are bad is fascinating. As Greg said, the Royals themselves not very fascinating, which is which is part of it. But I think. Um, Something that I sort of like thought today um, after reading, having read, you know, for a couple of days at least, you know, um, this anger that has kind of escaped the Royals review corner and is now kind of like out and about in like the general fan corner <laughs> um, is that I think the Royals shot themselves a little bit in the foot. I don't know if everybody would be as mad if the Royals hadn't been so relentlessly positive and upbeat the whole time. I think that's a little bit of an unforced error from a marketing perspective. Like if you're like, yeah, we're rebuilding, you know, we're looking forward to next year. If they had been saying that from for the last couple of years, I don't really know if, if, if anybody, you know, some people would be mad, but I, I think the general, like at your average fan probably wouldn't mind, you know, if they were being told, Hey, this is not the year. But the problem with the Royals is that they have been at least saying, hey, it's coming. We've got these pitchers. They're ready. You know, and then this year they're like, oh, Bobby Witt, it's here. You know, we signed Zach Granke. Like they kind of positioned the team as a little bit better than than they were um, or that they thought they would be. So I think that's an interesting wrinkle to it. Um, But, yeah, it it does sound at least to me like there is sort of like a shift um, and the, the, the really kind of the moment that I think the shift like really happened is when Alec Lewis published um, an article. Um, I don't even know when it was yesterday, the day before, um, earlier this week uh, on The Athletic. And Alec Lewis is a, is a really good writer. He writes really good, interesting stuff. I think it's it, it's a fair criticism of him to say that he's maybe a little too pro-royals, you know, maybe doesn't, you know, ask enough questions uh, or, you know, it takes them at their word maybe a little too much. Um, you know, not a huge deal, but, you know, that's a legitimate criticism of, of his writing, I, I, I think, um, would, would would be fair. His article earlier this week was was not kind to the Royals, and it sort of represented some sort of shift where you could kind of see it in some of his tweets, like the week leading up to it, but it was it was an article that was very frank in discussion about the Royals being really bad and not really having any answers. And there was some uncomfortableness going on in multiple sort of sections. Um, and, you know, we've, we've written some, some about it, um, you know, the last week um, and the last couple of days. And the response that we're getting from has sort of like spilled out from the Royals review, like commentariat, the type of people who, you know, log on specifically to our platform, right? They've got to create an account, which is easy, but they've got to create an account. They've got to log in. They've got to comment. You know, that's a totally different type of fan than your average Twitter user, your average Facebook user, or your average, you know, person, you know, who maybe doesn't even, you know, comment on sports online. Um, those people are getting really not happy. Um, and 
I th- I think that's where the shift has happened. No, I that was yeah I, I concur. That was a really good article written by Alec Lewis and a lot of nuggets in there. And I think one of the the quote that I took away from that he talks a little about some of the relievers that left the organization: Jacob Junis, Brad Boxberger, Jorge Lopez, Jason Adam, and have gone on to get off to really good starts with their new teams. Now it's you know one month. Maybe Jason Adams designated for assignment in a couple weeks. Who knows? But it is notable that some of them are having um, success. He notes why you know they've changed some things with their approach. Uh, most notably, Jacob Junis, whose best pitch was a slider, is now throwing his slider a lot more. Um, and uh, it was interesting. I did hear J.J. Piccolo on, I think it was uh, 610 Sports this week, uh, and they asked him point blank about, you know, Jacob Junis, hey, he's off to a really good start with San Francisco. What, you know, what, what's going on there? And he said, yeah, he's doing what we told him to do. We just couldn't get buy-in from him here. Um, and so I think that's a pretty big red flag. Uh, and then in Alec Lewis's article, he says, quote, notably, current Royals big leaguers are not ignorant of the strides others have made elsewhere. So that tells me, I mean, he's not pulling that out of his butt, right? He's, someone told him that, or at least a couple of guys said, hey, we've seen what other guys have done. I mean, look, you know, Alec Lewis, he's pretty close to Jacob Junis. He wrote a nice article about him about, a, what, a year ago or a year and a half ago where Jacob was, was working out with his brother Noah and uh, working on a, a cutter. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Jacob has told him some behind the, th- you know, behind the scenes things about why it didn't work out in Kansas City and, and maybe why it's working in San Francisco. So... That, to me, was a pretty telling quote, Jeremy, uh, and it kind of gets back to, you know, we've we've hammered this home multiple times, but the Royals do not develop starting pitching. And in this case, you know, they've let some relievers, potential relievers, get out, get away. Um, and, you know, we a lot of people said fire Cal, Cal Eldred, um, and I've been kind of agnostic about it, but I don't see a reason why they should keep him around anymore at this point. What are, what's your take on Alec Luce's article and whether or not Cal Eldred has to go at this point? Well, let me, let me address the Cal Eldred thing first, because I'll just say the same thing I've been saying. There are 30 major league pitching coach jobs, 30 in the entire world. That's it. And you don't, when, when the job is that prime, when the job is that, uh, that exclusive, that's the word I want. When the job is that exclusive, you don't need a reason to fire someone. You need a reason not to fire someone, uh, to, to not go looking and see if you can find someone better. And Cal Eldred has kind of given Royals reasons to fire him. Um, most notably the lack of buy-in from the pitchers, uh, the, the, the Jacob Junis isn't the first one. Brady Singer, pretty famously not buying into what the Royals are telling him to do. Uh, you know, uh, last year he couldn't figure out what was wrong with with Brad Keller for months. Uh, and it turned out to just be a mechanical issue that seems like he probably should have found in video sooner than that. Uh, you know, so does Cal Eldred need to go? Yeah. I mean, yeah, just there's no way around it. When you're when you look at how exclusive that job is and how poorly he's performed it in every aspect, I see no positives for Cal Eldred right now. Uh, then yeah, he's got to go. We and I said he had to go last year, and the Royals kept him. Uh, and, and this goes back to what I wrote, I think, a couple weeks ago, where the Royals need to be more transactional, and they're becoming less transactional somehow where it was obvious to everyone that Kel Eldred needed to be fired just to change things up, even if he didn't deserve it, just to change things up and give the pitchers a chance for a new voice, he needed to go. And they didn't get rid of him. Ryan O'Hearn batting cleanup tonight instead of playing in AAA somewhere else or playing in uh, J- Japan or Mexico or Korea. Uh, what? No. Uh, meanwhile, Vinny Bas- Pascotino... I don't even follow the minor leagues that much. Uh, you know, it's one of my failings, I guess. My biggest failing as a Royals writer is I don't pay that much attention to the minor leagues. But he's hit seven home runs. He's crushing the ball. Why isn't he up here? I know the Royals like to say, oh, you got to force the issue if you want to make it to the big leagues. He's forced the issue. The issue is forced. 
Santana's hurt, wasn't good before he was hurt. Ryan O'Hearn hasn't been good for four years. Vinny Pascatino may or may not be anything, but you got to give him a chance. What are we doing? Why are we trying at all? Um, and, and, and that's really, you know, it's, it's funny. You talk about the Reds aren't even trying now. I would say they haven't been trying since the off season. They basically traded Amir Garrett and Wade Miley for Mike Miner. <laughs> that's not the trade you make if you're trying to win. Who hasn't even pitched yet this year. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the Reds aren't trying. Uh, the pirates aren't trying. The, uh, guardians aren't really trying. Uh, who else isn't trying? Let's see. The Orioles aren't Orioles, trying. Yeah. The Marlins aren't trying. Oh, I think the Marlins uh, are trying. I think they're at that point where they're kind of trying by now. But, but, but well, some the, teams the are Royals definitely trying. They're higher salary than they do. The Royals are paying yeah. ninety-five million for their for their team. The Marlins are paying eighty-one million for theirs. So the Royals are actually t- ranked twenty-third in baseball in payroll right now, according to SpotRack. Uh, they don't got much to show for it. Something something's got to give. What's that, Greg? I did pick Miami to go to the playoffs, so I'm at least one believer in them. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and look, I mean, there was a, uh, I think it was uh, an article about Royals. Was it, uh, oh, no, it was Matthew, your article. And we'll get to, I want to talk about it anyway. But you wrote that, you know, the Royals, uh, you went back and looked at all the World Series teams, and uh, the one that took four years, more than four years to field a winning team after they were in the World Series is the Royals. Of course, they haven't even fielded a winning team yet. And I look back and I was like, you know, cause the first thing you come to, comes to mind is like the Marlins. And at least the 2000, you know, you only went back to 2000, but the 2003 Marlins, they had some pretty decent teams after that. They were like 80 win team most years after that, even though their payroll wasn't very big. Like that's a poverty franchise that's still doing better than the Royals. Cleveland, Tampa Bay, Oakland, Minnesota. These are all small market clubs. Cincinnati up to this year was a competitive team and they're all much more competitive than the Royals. Uh, 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 Matthew, I'll talk about your article in a minute, but I want to go with Greg real quick. You know, uh, it, it seems like we've hit a point now where, and, 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 and Jeremy brings up Ryan O'Hearn and Cal Eldred, who have kind of become the poster boys for this Royal season. Like, and I don't have any illusions. Like, if they fired Cal Eldred tomorrow and Vinny pa- and they got rid of Ryan O'Hearn, they, they released him and called up Vinny Pasquantino, I don't think that would really change things that much. But I think it's more of a symbol of what they represent. Uh, but I think people want to see heads roll at this point. Uh, and I think Jeremy's right. Their team has not been transactional like they said they would. So do you anticipate the Royals actually going through and firing someone, shaking up the roster, doing anything to shake this team out of the doldrums? Yeah, I mean, you've got the right idea when you say that getting rid of Calder and Ryan O'Hearn, that's not going to just magically fix it. The problems of this organization run a lot deeper than that, but – in terms of thinking, is there going to be some actual high-profile firings, big-time front office or coaching staff shakeups? It's just so hard to see because how many times in the past decade have we seen that with this team? How many They just haven't appeared willing to kind of make those significant changes, whether it's with their coaching staff or with the front office or just even with their own personnel, hence why Ryan O'Hearn is still batting cleanup and getting regular opportunities. They just seem almost scared to make changes or at least just really stubborn to do that. And, you know, I don't have any inside information to indicate as to why, but I do think something at least needs to be done. Now, Jeremy had made a good point when it's like, do we have any real evidence that Cal Eldred is necessarily the problem with the pitchers? No, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything to inspire confidence. So he's a pretty easy person to look at and just say, hey, I think we can probably do better. Quite frankly, I'd take the double-A pitching coach for the Dodgers over Cal Eldred at this point. Yeah, and, and Matthew, I did want to come to your article now. Like, you know, I think it really touched a nerve with a lot of people, and, and Greg kind of touched upon it too. Like, the Royals, this is a systemic thing, it seems like at this point, where the Royals are repeating themselves and making the same mistakes over again, which you wrote about this week. Talk a little bit about why you think the Royals are kind of making the following a pattern it seems here yeah i think the biggest thing to sort of come away with really here is that this isn't just a bunch of um you know fans getting unhappy um, well it is a bunch of fans getting unhappy but the reason why um you know some of the writers are are getting unhappy and some of those who have been paying attention for you know a while are aren't 
aren't happy and are, are critical of the Royals is not because we see this 9 and 18 start in a vacuum and go, man, this stinks. We need to have some changes. Um, the Royals have had a lot of sort of systemic um, issues. Um, you can call them mistakes. I call them mistakes. Uh, but you could just as easily call them, you know, um, flaws that have been the case really ever since the Dayton Moore organization or the Dayton Moore led organization has been in charge of the team. And so I pointed out five things that have sort of been hallmarks of almost every single Royal squad. And you can certainly find multiple instances of these, you know, across the last 16 years. Uh, the one thing is an inability to develop pitchers. So uh, the Royals have basically two internally developed starters, Jordan uh, Ventura and Danny Duffy. That's it, right? 16 years, and they really have only two starters. No all-star uh, pitchers, starting pitchers at, at all in 16 years, which, you know, see, that's that's kind of a weird bar, but it's it's an interesting thing to think about. No all-star starters. They haven't had anybody that good, and the good players that they have, only a couple um, that they've developed themselves um, and drafted themselves, or in the case of Ventura, uh, signed internationally. Uh, the second thing is a refusal to trade big league talent um, when it makes the most sense. Um, so they hold on to their players past their expiration date, and then what happens is they are either left holding um, a declining player or they just didn't pull the trigger when they should have. Um, so Merrifield is a key indicator. I think, you know, we're seeing he'll probably bounce back, I would say, but you know, Merrifield, they should have traded him a couple of years ago, right? They didn't do that. Here he is. They're on the hook for a declining player. Um, another thing, Danny Duffy, they should have traded him after 2017. That was the first year of his extension, but he was really good. Teams were interested. They were going to be bad. They didn't do it. They hung on to him. He got injured. They got nothing out of it. Uh, then there's David DeJesus over in 2008, 2009. They hold, they held on to him for too long. Then he got injured. Zach Greinke demanded a trade. You know, so the Royals didn't even like decide to trade him. Zach Greinke decided to. So that's well, the second. Well, I'll add, Joaquin Soria was another one. Remember that oh, there yeah. was a lot of interest with him when he was at his peak, and the Royals weren't going anywhere. And the Royals yep. probably had a chance to trade him and just hung on to him. Then he got Tommy John surgery. <laughs> Uh, the third thing is a pattern of blocking minor league talent with mediocre veterans. So this is true now, right? Carlos Santana's on the team and Pasquantino and Prado aren't. Uh, but this stretches back to Omar Infante and even like Mike Jacobs and Chris Getz. The quality of the players that they're blocking, you know, range. But the fact that the Royals can't ever figure out if these players are for real or not, um, that's their own doing. Uh, the fourth thing is a lack of strategic roster building. So the Royals are always seeming to be in some sort of limbo, right? They have old players that they're sort of paying for, and they have the young players, but not enough. And they're not enough. They're not winning with their old players, but they don't move on for them. And then the fifth thing that we've already touched on is a sort of disproportionate loyalty to players, coaches, um, even even when it kind of doesn't make sense or when the data bears it out, like Ryan O'Hearn is not a big league is not a big leaguer. He's just not. I don't know if there's any other team who would bat him clean up seriously. And here he is. Um, that's not Ryan O'Hearn's fault. That's the Royals' fault for being super loyal to a guy who hasn't earned it. And the same thing with Cal Eldred um, and Terry Bradshaw. Those guys haven't earned it, and yet the Royals have continued to um, stay loyal to them. So those sort of five things are hallmarks of the Royals in 2008, in 2010, 2013, 2016. And what I also wanted to, to touch on is, yes, the Royals um, made the World Series in 2014. They won the World Series in 2015, definitely. But the issue is those problems were still going on when they were good. They were just not as obvious. Um, and if you think about it, the Royals uh, were the best team in the American League for a three-year period between 2013 and 2015. They made two World Series. And then with all of that talent, they couldn't get a single winning season after that. That's not bad luck. That's the result of bad processes. That's a bad. That's the result of bad um, drafting and developing, development. It's you know, coaching, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And the Royals just were still not good at all of these things, even when they were winning baseball games. And that's why we never saw even a winning squad after 2015. And as someone pointed out in the uh, in the comments, you know, the Royals in 2016, 2017, they were around 500, but their like uh, Pythagorean record based off of uh, runs scored and runs losses was, was way worse um, than that. The Royals were actually pretty lucky to be around 500. So 
they've obviously not sniffed contention since then. And I think, you know, this is the, the right sort of uh, frame of mind here, that this is not like a knee-jerk reaction. The Royals have had these issues for a long time, and they have lost a lot of games. And this doesn't happen by accident. You don't have the 27th uh, ranked winning percentage since 2007 among all 30 teams. 27th. You don't do that unless there's a process that leads to you ranking 27th in winning percentage in a 16-year period. Um, so the Royals really just, they really need to address a bunch of stuff. And the the frustrating thing is I think the Royals have a lot going on for them. They could run out a, a lineup that features like seven or eight guys under the age of 27 um, and with like the average age of like 24. They could do that. They are not doing that. Um, that, of course, doesn't fix the pitching issue, but they could fire their pitching coach. They could try something new, and they're not. So it's just really frustrating to see because I think they've got some of the talent in the system. They've done a real nice job with the minor leagues, but they just haven't you know, gotten, gotten it through their skulls, I think. Um, I think this is just me personally, but I think the Royals won in 2015, and I think that sort of, you know, was just validation for them for all of their approaches, even the ones that didn't work and weren't working then. And so it's really hard for them to admit that they were wrong because in their minds, those approaches brought them the World Series, when in reality, some of those approaches were even working against them when they were winning. I think the point you raised that I think really resonated resonated with me was the kind of the, the lack of a plan, a strategic plan. Like it seems like they're always trying to have it both ways. So, like, you know, they knew a cliff was coming when, when 2016-17. They knew Moose and Hosmer and Kane and Eske would all be free agents at the same time. And uh, Greg Holland would probably be gone. And Wade Davis was going to have, you know, be a year away from free agency. And they could have planned for that. Um, they could have said, okay, let's try to extend our window and, and trade them all and for young players. Uh, we'll combine them with some of the younger guys we have here. Like the Whit- this Whitmerryfield seems like a pretty decent player. Danny Duffy's still here. Salvi's still here. We'll try to bridge the gap with with some with, by trading these guys, or they could have burned it down and traded all those guys, or uh, let them walk and say we're just going to be bad. We're going to trade away every asset we have with Merrifield and Danny Duffy, uh, and 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 maybe even Salvi, um, and we're just going to burn it to the ground and re- totally rebuild. Uh, but instead, they kind of tried to have it both ways and said, okay, well, we're going to trade away Wade Davis and get back Jorge Soler because he can maybe he'll be part of that bridge. Um, and it turns out that when you don't draft very, you know, draft very well for several years and Jorge Soler is kind of a disappointment and um, a lot of the other players you were counting on don't really pan out. Adalberto Montesi isn't the all-star you thought he'd be. You're going to lose 100 games for a couple years in a row. Um, and even now, more recently, like, Okay, so the rebuilding, they went out and traded for Andrew Benintendi. Actually, pretty good trade, but it's like, what's the point of that? Like, are we trying to be good? Okay, if you're trying to be good, be good. Go get some more good players and build a good team around him because Michael Taylor isn't cutting it. Uh, Hunter Dozier isn't cutting it. Um, Adamerta Montesi isn't on the field. The pitching isn't there. Put a good team around him or flip him, trade him away, or don't even trade for a guy like that that you don't, you know is going to be gone after the 2022 season uh, because, uh, you know, he's going to be a free agent, and what's the point of sticking around here? So it seems like they're just, you know, we talk about these other teams, you know, the Oaklands, the Tampa Bays, the Clevelands, very transactional teams that always have a clear direction where they're going. Um, I, I'd say Cleveland maybe is a little less clear recently, but um, I think you usually know, like, okay, Oakland's rebuilding, or oh, Tampa Bay is going to put all their chips in, or, you know, whatever. But the Royals have kind of tried to have it both ways, and it, it just it seems like a rudderless ship at this point. And, you know, Greg, I, I think a lot of people want – you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to see more people on board with uh, it's time to clean house, and they mean not just Cal Elder, not just Mike Matheny, but Dayton Moore, J.J. DiPicolo. Um, I don't know. Are you at that point now, and do you see any kind of scenario where he, Dayton Moore loses his job or anyone really loses their job? It's just hard for me to see because it really just seems like Dayton Moore's job security is basically just unparalleled in the baseball universe. Like, I'm, I'm just having a hard time envisioning what would have to happen for that, for him to lose his job there. Because, I mean, look, this team has been just 
wandering the wilderness for how many years now? You could really say going back to 2016 because they were sort of contending in 2016 and 17, but the problems were already starting to emerge. It's it's hard to see it happening now. Would I do it? I, I probably would have done a regime change some, sometime a few years ago just to try to move the team in a little bit of a different direction because I think at some point when you have the same voices in the room for 15, 16 years, it starts to get stale after a while when it's kind of shown that their process just doesn't work, that whatever their plan is, if there even is one, just doesn't seem to really be panning out, then I think some kind of change does need to be made there. And to Matt's point about how they like to just block younger talent with older guys so much, that's just a recurring theme that seems to be, you know, really emblematic of the way this front office approaches team building. And I, I saw a piece on Fangraphs a couple weeks ago. It was from Dan Simborski about uh, Taylor Ward's breakout for the Angels. And there was a little section in there that kind of stood out to me, just to read from it real quick here. Uh, you can't find what you don't look for, and the Angels have long been more than happy to put up with extended stretches of mediocrity or worse from older players for no other reason than they were paying those players. Well-run organizations give talent that's young enough to, uh, to show real improvement opportunities to flip the narrative. The Dodgers couldn't find Max Muncy or Chris Taylor without trying them. I mean, it says the Angels, but if you substitute out Angels for Royals, it, it still fits pretty well. They just seem really content to let these older guys play out the string and not put up younger talent. And, I mean, is it really – do we really see, like, the front office changing that of kind of philosophy of actually starting to play young guys? Because – at this point, like I just don't see them making a 180 turn and just doing that all of a sudden. So short answer, let's go around the horn and, and tell me, do you think anyone gets fired among the coaching staff or the front office this this season, during this season, or maybe immediately after the season? Jeremy, do you want to start? If you had to give your prediction, if anyone loses their job, uh, what would you say? I was sure that Cal Eldred at least was gone after last season. They can't do nothing again. I mean, unless things completely turn around and Bobby Witt Jr. turns into like better than Mike Trout and, and the pitchers find something, they can't do nothing again. Uh, so I, you got to fire at least, I think, Cal Eldred, uh, maybe Terry Bradshaw. I don't think Mike Matheny's in any danger. Dayton Moore just got promoted. J.J. Piccolo just got the GM job uh, late last year. I don't think they're in any danger. Um, but the the pitching and hitting coaches, I think you got to make some kind of change. Uh, if you're not going to make changes elsewhere, then those are the guys. Yeah, yeah. And people brought up, you know, maybe John Sherman is just kind of biding his time and waiting, and he's focused on the downtown stadium or um, – and, and maybe he'll fire Dayton Moore at the end of the year, but I, I don't know. Like he seemed like he was, he had pretty glowing things to say about Dayton Moore. I think if you, you're right. He just promoted him. Like if you were going to kind of make a change, you'd probably do it a year ago. Like uh, you could have given him some like largely ceremonial role and say, Hey, look, you can be club president, but we're getting some young, new, new blood underneath you. Um, uh, which, uh, you know, kind of, kind of what the Royals did. I think um, in the, in the late eighties under John Schultz, I kind of, undermined him and brought in some new guys and that's part of why he left for Atlanta uh, I'm not saying the Royals should like undermine Dayton more but if you want to get your own people in there maybe you get your own people and say look Dayton if you you know get along you know rethink your strategies work with these new people or you know find a new job uh, but he hasn't done that so I, that's why I think Dayton Moore will probably stay Matthew do you see anyone uh, getting losing their job this season for the Royals uh, I will say something feels different this year. Uh, the fact that you brought up Bobby Witt kind of says, kind of moves it into a little little bit of a different situation. I think in um, 2018 and 2019, no one was getting fired. Everyone knew that was the fallout. You know, you were right that they should have been better about planning for that fallout. But I think, you know, that was fine. 2020 being as it was, um, you know, kind of hard to, it was just a weird year, hard to you know, make a lot of different, you know, serious, serious moves. 2021, really, I think, um, you know, it was still like a, yeah, we're still coming out of it. You know, the the pitchers that from 2018 have gotten another year under, or are getting another year under their belts. Um, you know, you could kind of see we're still kind of rebuilding. I think 2022, I think at this point, the 2018 class is in their third year, right? Uh, Bobby Witt's up. 
Um, the Royals are multiple seasons away from losing 100 games. Like, they're looking towards the future, right? And they, I think, thought that they would be better than they were. I think that this year is different than other previous years. I don't think that Dayton Moore is probably going to get... I, I think Dayton Moore is probably going to keep his job. However, I do think that if the Royals are similarly bad for another month or so, then we could see some changes at, at the coaching staff just because it feels different. Not just, you know, here from, from where we are, but like people like Alec Lewis are writing articles that there's some there's some unrest going on and more than just on in the fan side. There's some unrest going on potentially in the coaching staff and in the players and, you know, definitely free enough to write that kind of stuff about the team. I think it's different this year, but I also do think that the Royals, again, they show extreme loyalty. If the Royals win a couple of games here, we're, we're done. There's, there's probably no chance of it, of it, uh, of, of there being some changes made, but if we go another month, right, if we go through the end of June and the Royals are still, you know, winning one out of every three games, then I think we could see some changes being made, but only at the coach level. And I think Dayton Moore is probably safe unless this is a catastrophic season and they lose like 105 games, then maybe, right? But that, I still don't think that's very likely with the young talent that they have um, in the upper minors and with Witt and Melendez. And is, I, I don't think that's that's super likely, but it's possible. So I think the TLDR there is if the Royals are similarly bad for another month, we could see some changes at the coaching staff level. If they are really, really, really terrible through the end of the year, then we may, we might see some some bigger changes, but that's not very likely. Greg, what do you think? Does anyone lose their job this summer? I think Matt kind of has the right idea of if, if anybody does, it's going to be you know people on the coaching staff. I think the front office personnel, for the most part, they're, they're going to stick around. That said, with the, the loyalty this organization does tend to show, and the fact that you know, Jeremy talked about it earlier when Brad Keller had his issues last year and it took Cal Eldred months to figure it out. Like, he should already be gone. And the fact that he wasn't after that happened and after the disappointing results that we've seen from those 18 pitchers so far, I think it would take a lot. Like, I think it would take all of those 18 pitchers just continually getting shelled for the next month or two for something to happen there. I do think it needs to, but will it? I'm not exactly holding my breath, but... I, I can see a possibility where by the end of the season, there's some pretty major shakeups in the coaching staff. So I, I think, you know, the, the, if they continue to kind of flounder around for the next couple of weeks, I think they'll, they'll kind of kind of be forced to make a, a move. And I think Matthew's right. It does feel a little different. And there's a, a little there's a sense of urgency now with Bobby Witt Jr. Because like the clock's ticking, right? Uh, they kind of have to get their ass in gear, you know, before he becomes a free agent. And you got six years now. Um, and so this year is really important. And so I, I do think if they continue to flounder, um, you'll see Caladred reassigned to minor league development or something like that, or some, you know, special advisor to the front office. And it'll be like Jason Simontachi or Jeff Supon or someone who's like roving pitching coordinator right now. Uh, Larry Carter, who's a bullpen coach, uh, who I think filled in for Cal Eldred when he was gone on a road trip a couple weeks ago. Um, and then maybe even Terry Bradshaw, John Mabry's his assistant. I mean, Basically, Bradshaw will get fired or reassigned to some other position, and Mabry will take his position. So really not much is going to change. But I do feel like they will they will have to make a change because you have to do something at this point. And Dave Moore has been very reluctant to fire coaches midseason. I, mean, I think I pointed this out a couple of episodes ago. Like he, he really hasn't fired a coach. He's, he's just reassigned guys like Andre David was a 2014 uh, got reassigned and they replaced him with George Brett. Um, so, but but you know whatever they'll they'll there there will be a new hitting coach, new pitching coach. It'll be someone from the organization. The message will probably be the same. Nothing will change really. Um, Dayton Moore, I don't think he's any. I don't think there's any chance that he's going to lose his job. I think he's got this job until a downtown stands like uh, secured, uh, and and then we'll see. But um, right now, I think John Sherman's got his interests elsewhere. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's a long season. Maybe they'll turn it around. I mean, Jeremy, you wrote an article this week that that said the Royals are going to turn things around. Um, do you still believe in that? I mean, I they there is there's a chance for a dead count bounce here, right? Right. So the the first premise of the article was that they can't be this bad all season. 
Like you can't play three thirty three baseball all year long. It's not it's not a thing. Uh, but then I also anticipated that they would start making some moves, and the more I think about it, the more I wonder if they will. Um, you know, I one of the things I said was Carlos Santana can't be here all year. Ryan O'Hearn can't be here all year. Vinny Pascantino and and Nick Prado, or at least one of them, will will have to come up at some point this season, and. Will they? Do they have to? Uh, you know, if this was any other club, yeah, but it's the Royals, and and as has been mentioned, the job security for Royals front office is unparalleled. Uh, not just in baseball, but I think it, it, for a lot of <laughs> a lot of industries, a lot of careers. Uh, so I. I it's really they're really hard to watch right now. The Royals are really hard to watch. And and that article was written from a place of I want to be a more optimistic person. I want to find the good in things, and they're, it's really hard to find good in the Royals right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, I believe it. In like you said, there's got to be a dead cat bounce somewhere. But until I start seeing some more substantive changes, I, I have a hard time believing that it's going to be much more than a dead cat bounce. Yeah, and I, I do see you know, a way for them to get better. I mean, look, Whit Merrifield's not going to hit 130. I mean, he might be a declining, declining player, but he's not. I don't see him dropping off a cliff that much in one season. Um, I think Salvi is probably not in at 100% right now, um, and he, I think he'll hit better as the season goes along. Um, Nicky Lopez is probably better than he's played. I think there there is a chance the pitchers could get better. I see glimpses out of Daniel Lynch. Um, he's had some encouraging starts. It's a little bit out of Carlos Hernandez, although I'm a little more discouraged by the way he's thrown the last couple outings. The bullpen, I think, has, has been pretty good. and could be a, a strength. And, and, you know, look, we've seen this out of the Royals before. You know, terrible April or May, uh, not that great June, maybe even July. And then they get hot in August when, like, they're way, 30 games back. They'll, they have an 18-8 and eight August or 18-8 September, and you're like, oh, maybe this will carry over to next year. And Yeah, it never does. So, uh, you know, we'll <laughs> see. They probably have a good run in them at some point. Uh, I don't expect them to be. I don't expect them to contend for the number one pick. I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah. could, the mean, Reds have that locked up. Yeah, but like a top five pick is certainly in play. Uh, which kind of leads us to our. Uh, this is a good segue for the next segment. Let's take a break though. But I do want to talk to Greg about the draft. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. And we're back. And, uh, you know, when the Royals are out of it, um, of course, it's time to start looking to next year in the future. And that's the uh, Major League Draft. And... Uh, the draft is coming up later this summer, uh, and Greg, I know you've been keeping an eye on the college players. From what I understand, too, this is going to be a pretty heavy, uh, hitter-heavy draft at the top. Um, who are some uh, college names that you think are going to be at the top of this draft that the Royals uh, you know, could be interested in or that other teams would be, uh, would be taking with the first couple selections? Exactly around that. It is a hitter heavy draft with some big prep hitters on top of the board there. A lot of college guys too. Definitely a down class for pitching, especially out of the college ranks. Just a lot of the bigger arms have gone hurt this year or otherwise underperformed. So it's a good year to be looking at bats. I don't know as much about the prep guys, but I have watched my fair share of all of the big bats around college baseball. So a couple of names the Royals are look could be looking for. They're going to be picking at number nine this year. So, you know, once they're going down to number nine, it's hard to know exactly who's still going to be on the board at that point. But a few names that will probably still be out there. Uh, We can look at Jace Young. He's the second baseman for Texas Tech. I wrote about him just a couple weeks ago on Royals Review. 
He is the younger brother of Texas prospect Josh Young, and he also went to Texas Tech. Uh, Jace has put up even better numbers in his college years. He's got legit pop. He's walked about twice as much as he's struck out this season. He's got kind of unconventional mechanics with the way he sets up, the way he swings, and there's kind of questions about how they'll translate to wood bats, which was kind of borne out last summer in the Cape Cod League. He didn't hit very well that year. And he's a fringy defender at second, so he's going to be a bat-first prospect. That's going to have to be the carrying tool for him. Another guy I really like, I think Alex Duvall over at Rolls Farm Report's a really big fan of his, too. Uh, Jacob Berry. He's been playing a third base in outfield for LSU this year. He's a switch hitter. Absolutely mashed at Arizona last year as a freshman. And he is now destroying SEC pitching as a draft-eligible sophomore. He's got above-average power, outstanding hit tool. He's struck out in less than 10% of his plate appearances this year. And some scouts believe he's the best pure hitter in the draft. So I don't think he's going to be on the board at number nine, but if he is, I would really like to see the Royals scoop him up. He's, as I mentioned, he's played third base and corner outfield. He's probably a first base DH type in pro ball, but I mean, you need guys that can hit. That's what matters the most. Uh, looking at some other guys, Kevin Parada, catcher for Georgia Tech. If you haven't ever seen Kevin Parada, I'd highly recommend looking up some of his highlights on YouTube just because the way that he stands in the box, the way that he loads, I don't understand how he can hit the ball like at all. But he crushes it and tons of power, second in the nation in home runs. He's got a really good approach, makes consistent contact. Not necessarily convinced he can stick behind home play as a catcher, but, I mean, that bat's going to play just about any position. Uh, Daniel Susak is another catcher. He's over at Arizona. Not quite having as monster of an offensive season as the previous few guys, but he's still having a great year out there. Really well-rounded hitter, plus power. Better chance to stick behind the plate than Parada. A uh, guy that I've seen mocked to the Royals in a few different drafts, so Gavin Cross, outfielder for Virginia Tech. Uh, to give you a sense of the type of season Virginia Tech is having, uh, Gavin Cross is at 1.088 OPS this year. That's fifth on his own team. But lefty bat, solid hit to a plus power. He's really cut down on the strikeouts this year. He's all right in center field, but, I mean, he's got a really good bat and a strong arm. It's going to fit in right field if he has to move out there. Uh, Chase DeLauder. Outfielder for James Madison. He's put up some huge numbers in an admittedly weaker conference. The Colonial is not exactly a power conference. Uh, tons of power, solid approach. Was having a monster year, but he broke his foot in April. And you knows some concerns about his swing mechanics, how he'd fare against better competition, given the conference he's playing in. But he was one of the best hitters in the Cape Cod League last year. And really solid center field defender. He would be a plus and right if he has to move. And the last guy that I kind of uh, looked at a little bit for this, this guy's not a first-rounder. I wrote about him for Rosario also. I have to talk about him because he's my favorite player in college baseball. Ivan Melendez, first baseman for Texas. Uh, he's not a first-rounder because fourth-year right-handed hitting first baseman are typically not highly rated prospects. But right now he's fourth in the nation in batting average, fourth in on-base percentage, first in slugging OPS and in home runs. The big knock on him was some swing and miss in this game, but he's got more walks than strikeouts this year. And there's still some reason I doubt the hit tool, but very few players at this level hit the ball as hard as Ivan Melendez does. And he also rates out very well in my swag of upper placement metric. So those are some of the big names that I'm going to be looking for for the Royals because I would like to see them go for a college hitter in the first round. And when, you know, when I look at the Royals draft history, it's hard to pick out like a, a definitive strategy they use because we saw last year they go underslot on that first pick, take a bunch of high school pitchers. In 2020, only college guys, four of them were pitchers. 2019, they take Bobby over at number two and then stack up on a mixed bag of college guys after that. And then 2018, obviously, all the college guys. And 2017, you know, the big high school bats in Prado and Melendez. I would like to see them, you know, go after a big-time college bat with that first pick this year at number nine because this is a good draft to do it. And, you know, that's something we haven't seen the Royals do under Dayton more, though, because since he took over in 2006, they've only used their first pick in a college bat twice. And that was on Christian Clone and Hunter Dozier. So I hope that doesn't scare people off from, you know, taking a college bat with that first pick. But again, like Cologne, he wasn't the highest ceiling prospect even before he was drafted. And Hunter Dozier, that was an underslot kind of deal. So would love to see that. I uh, was wondering if you guys had any kind of thoughts on maybe what you could envision the role is doing with their uh, first pick this year. Yeah, it's interesting that it's been that long since, since they've taken a college bat or that they have taken so few of them. Uh, and, and I know, Matthew, you've kind of written about how the Royals maybe should kind of just punt on <laughs> drafting pitchers and developing pitchers and go with that college college hitter approach or even hit high school hitters. Um, what's, what's your kind of your take on, on the draft as far as strategies? 
So, Greg, that's a really good point. I, I hadn't really thought about that, that, you know, they've, they've stayed away from college bats. I think partly because Alex Gordon was around for so long and the Royals drafted him as a college bat. Now that was pre-Dayton, but, you know, um, that that kind of skews perception, I think, at least. Um, you know, I think, I think the Royals would be better served by drafting bats. Um, historical production uh, for the type of hitters um, – says that high school and college hitters are the way to go. Specifically, college hitters have the highest floor out of anybody, and you get the, the most productive years out of them. And you know what? Even Hunter Dozier, who we sort of think as as like a, a disappointment, he's been an above-average hitter since 2019. Like, we don't really want to, want to give him a huge amount of credit because he's not a great defender, but... He's been an above-average hitter since 2019. Um, he currently uh, has a 122 WRC plus this year, which is right in line with 2019, a 123 WRC plus. You know, Hunter Dozier, and especially because Hunter Dozier was not like the eighth best player, he was something in the 30-something as best player. You would take that results, you know, to to have a league average, you know, college bat hitter, um, or an above-average college bat hitter, you know pretty much every time. Um, and he's, you know, kind of a disappointment just because he hasn't been like a really great hitter um, and his defense just kind of gets in the way of things. What I think the Royals are going to do for, from a draft perspective is they're going to go under slot again. And I think this is true because of where they're drafting. Um, so the last two times that they've drafted in the seven to 10 pick, they've done uh, this under slot deal situation. So for those of you who don't know or who may not know about it, the way that the draft works, um, you get X amount of money to sign a player. Um, and you can sign someone from over their slot value. Every pick has a slot value. Um, so you can sign someone for over that slot value or under that slot value. But if you sign for them for over, it obviously counts against your total pool. So what the Royals have done in the last two times they were in the 7-10 to 10 range is they have uh, gone under slot, meaning that they have picked someone who was not the 8th best player. They've picked someone who was further down 20th in the 20s or 30s uh, with the, that top 10 pick, and they've kind of paid them uh, accordingly. Then what they're able to do is with a pick somewhere in the 30s, they use that pick on a guy who fell and who wasn't going to sign because of signing concerns. And then they use the money that they saved in the, um, you know, the first pick towards that player. And that pick, that player goes over slot. So what the Royals did is they did that um, with uh, Hunter Dozier and, and Sean Manaya. Hunter Dozier signed, signed under slot. Sean Manaya signed over, over slot. Last year, the Royals did that for Eric Mazzucato. He signed under slot. They gave a couple of guys over slot money. Um, so that they could sign them. I think they're going to do the same thing here. So, you know, I'm, and then the reason from a club perspective, why you would do that is after the first like couple of picks, if you're just not completely sure that a player who is the eighth best player is better than the 30th best player, you might as well get the 30th and the 31st best player, as opposed to getting like the eighth and the 40th or whatever. Um, that's just the idea behind the slot sort of shenanigans that happen. So that's what I think the Royals are going to do. So I don't think any of these like really good college hitters that are ranked in the top 10, I don't think they're going to pick them. I think they're going to go under slot and then over slot with someone else. And they're just going to throw off everyone's draft boards. Um, you know, it worked with Hunter Dozer and Sean Manaya. You know, that was, that was a perfectly fine strategy. You know, uh, jury's out on whether or not it's going to work last year. I have my doubts because high school pitching is such a volatile thing and the Royals haven't been able to develop it, but Danny Duffy was a high school pitcher and Jordana Ventura uh, was effectively a high school pitcher again, signed in internationally. And those are really the only successes they've had, um, you know, so it could work, but that that's what I think is going to happen with the draft. That's going to make my draft uh, prospect write-ups really difficult because if they do under go under slot, like there's no way of knowing how or who they're going to pick in that kind of slot. Cause like, Nobody had Frank Mazzucato going to the Royals in their draft previews last year. Like, nobody was writing about him as a potential guy for the Royals. So that's going to make things harder for me. Yeah, I will point out the, that MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, had their mock draft. And the, the name that they mocked the Royals was high school pitcher Andrew Dukanich out of Indiana, uh, which, number one, Indiana prep pitcher raised a lot of red flags with a lot of Royals fans of, like, Oh, no, Ash Russell and Nolan Watson, who are both first-round picks out of Indiana high schools and both did not pan out. 
And also taking a high school pitcher that early who is not ranked in the top 10, although Dukanich, uh, MLB Pipeline has him ranked number 14. I think Baseball America has him in the top 20. So not a huge reach, but probably not a top 10 guy. Uh, and I think that brought back memories of last year when a lot of fans were not pleased with the, you know, going out and getting Mazzucato and signing to an underslot contract. So I think other people have your expectation as well, Matthew, that they're going to go after their guy and sign him under slot. I mean, they, they said they almost took Nick Lofton uh, under slot and he wasn't anywhere near the top, you know, 10 either by most, uh, uh, most draft boards. Uh, so they're going to take someone that's kind of probably off the radar. Um, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily in itself a bad idea. I mean, like, if you think Mike Trout is the best player in the draft and everyone else has him 20th, which everyone did in the draft he was in because he wasn't taking the first 20 picks, then take him. Um, Albert Pools, if you think he's the best player, take him. Don't wait till round you know, 20, whatever, he, he got taken. Um, but you better be right. And so far, and, and it's early. I mean, I'm not certainly not giving up on Mazzucato or Ben Kaderna or uh, Carter Jensen, the guys they signed over slot to get a Mazzucato. Um, but n- none of them have played a professional game yet. <laughs> Uh, and you know, maybe they will soon and maybe they'll be great. Um, but, um, it, you know, these high school guys, it takes time. It takes a long time. Uh, and I don't know if the Royals have that much time at this point. I mean, there's a, there's a little more urgency than I think there was a couple years ago. And, and, um, you know, maybe good on them for not panicking and, and, and trying to speed up that timetable, but maybe they do need to panic. I mean, they're, they're, they're barreling towards another 100 loss season. Uh, Jeremy, I know you're not a big draft, Nick, but do you have any thoughts on the Royals' overall strategy and what they might do this June? Uh, I I think they should take hitters. I think they'll take pitchers. I think that I'll be disappointed in whoever they take and that they won't be good Major League Baseball players. That's... That is my that is that is my analysis. Short but sweet. Um, and I should point out too. I just remembered that it's not the June draft anymore. It's the July draft because it takes place during All Star Weekend. So you'll have to wait till July. Uh, I have to for wait this... even longer to be disappointed. Right. <laughs> 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 These Royals more time to mess it up. So let's uh, wrap things up with our Royals review reviews this week. Matthew, what do you have for us this week? So um, what I have to say is um something that i that i said last year when the royals were were really bad or was it the year before that see <laughs> i don't know all, it, I, all these seasons kind of blur know. together at this point right yeah they they really do um and this is this is my eighth season of writing for royals review so like earlier on like i i knew exactly when i was talking like now i have no idea i just i have no idea um what so what i have to say is um if you're not enjoying baseball Stop watching baseball. My, my Royals review review is go do something else. Um, you know, I think that hate watching baseball is just not healthy. Um, you know, go do something else. The Royals are still going to be here. The baseball is still going to be here. You know, I I'm get I bet that you'll you'll love baseball. You know, if you're listening to this at this point, you you probably really love baseball. You know, if you you don't have to watch every baseball game. If it's making you mad, step away from it. You'll enjoy it when you come back and importantly it doesn't make you any less of a fan i think this is sort of one of my big crusades um as as someone who writes about the royals is and writes about sports is that like true fandom quote unquote is just like is hogwash you know fandom is is what makes you happy and it's it's about you know how you care about something and and you know you don't have to watch every game and it doesn't make you any less of a fan and if you're just not enjoying it, you can step away, and that's okay. And if someone gives you crap about it, you know that's that's on them. You know, it, you you life is too short to not enjoy what you want to enjoy. So my Royals review review is just enjoy what you want to enjoy. If that's baseball now, great. If that's not baseball now and you want to go away, that's also great. And you're totally fine for doing it. It doesn't make you less of a sports fan. It doesn't make you less of a Royals fan. And just do do what makes you happy. Yeah, I still. I guess we've all read Craig Calcaterra's book, huh? I'm sorry, say that again. I guess we've all read Craig Calcaterra's book. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell people what that the name of that uh, book is. Rethinking fandom. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, and he, he's got a whole chapter in there saying basically what Matt just said. Yeah. 
No, there's more than one way to fan. That's for sure. I, I still watch just because I love baseball, and, and there, I think there are legitimately good, you know, fun things to watch about this team. Like they do have Bobby Wood Jr. He's fun. He's fun to watch at times. I like watching Dylan Coleman and Josh Dalmont pitch. Um, that's about it. No, I, I like watching Andrew Benintendi. Uh, there's some other good things. I don't know. I there's just, there's some good just things. Just to, to throw watch. this out there, Bobby Witt Jr. Fun when he hits things, hits balls. You can you can see those for free on the Royals <laughs> website. You don't have to watch the whole game. Just go watch the highlight. That's true. That's a ringing endorsement. You know, and I'm, sometimes you can't even watch it on Valley Sports Kansas City because they turn the game to uh, World Poker Tour or something. So that's true. Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go out into left field. Uh, at least as far as I, I do things. Uh, y'all have heard of Wordle, and it's many, many spinoffs. Not recommending a Wordle spinoff. Uh, but the creator of Wordle recently uh, kind of advertised, advocated for another word game. This one is a mobile app uh, called Not Words, K N O T Words. Um, and I downloaded that and instantly became addicted and actually closed all my tabs for all of my Wordle clones that I had been playing. I was like, I don't need Wordle anymore. I don't need Dordle or Quartle or Octordle. I've got Not Words. Um, so Not Words is a word game app. Uh, they give you a puzzle that looks kind of like a crossword puzzle, but there are no clues. Um, when you highlight a section, it it shows uh, kind of oddly uh, structured groups of of uh, of of entry entry areas, and it tells you which letters might fit in that area. Um, so you know you you highlight a section, and it gives you four uh, four boxes, and they're probably not all in a straight line, and they're not an entire word. Um, and, and you find out that like it's the letters A, B, S, and O. And, and you can put those letters in there and, and try and uh, make words out of it. And so you make words going to left to right and up and down, or up to down, just like a crossword puzzle. And uh, they have a free, the free version of the app has daily games, has a daily normal game, and then a daily what they call a twist game, um, which isn't really all that different. Um, and then if you pay, um, you can pay $5 for a month's access, or you can pay, uh, I think it's $12 for lifetime access. I went ahead and just did that cause I was immediately obsessed. Um, and you get full access to their archives going all the way back to January 1st, 2020. Um, so that's two puzzles a day for, uh, two years basically. And then they also have, um, monthly puzzle books, which are, have 60 more puzzles in them. Uh, but those they don't have archives for those, but the, those puzzles are there. So you have your daily fix, and then if you just really need more word puzzles, like I apparently do, uh, there's there's lots more on the app to play with. Um, I'm just having a heck of a time with it. As if I needed more things to 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 waste my time in the day. <laughs> I already have Royals Review and Wordle and all these other things, but yeah, yeah I'm sure I'll get sucked in. Uh, Greg, do you have a, a Royals Review reviews for us this week? I sure do. Today, I'm going to be reviewing Kansas City Royals baseball. It is bad. No, not really. I threw enough <laughs> of that today already. Um, now, today, uh, I'm going to be reviewing something a little, something that's not really media related. I know that's kind of what we usually stick with. But if you remember from the episode we recorded, those lost the sands of time. I kind of went in a different direction here. So I have here from New Belgium Brewing Company a Liquid Paradise IPA. So I'm something of a unofficial spokesperson for voodoo ranger ipas because i just love them i've had a ton of their different varieties they have because they come out with new ones it seems like every few weeks and i feel compelled to try them every time they come out and i hadn't tried this one before so i figured i'd go ahead and give it a shot and my uh, first reaction to it it's pretty good it's i wouldn't rank it among my probably top three of the voodoo rangers but it has a really nice balance between just a little bit of hoppiness and a little bit of that kind of citrusy fruitiness so it's not really overwhelming in one direction or another i find it quite refreshing would recommend again i don't need more things in my life to waste my time <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like good beer but uh I, that that sound that sound uh refreshing and i'll have to check that out i do i do appreciate uh learning new beer so i appreciate that roller review reviews uh my review this week uh i'm not i know i'm late to this but 
I've been enjoying on HBO Max, uh, Winning Time, the story of the Lakers, the rise of the Lakers in the 1980s. Um, I know it's been a little controversial because I think they played a little loose with the facts, at least according to some of the players involved. Uh, but it's been very entertaining. Um, and I love kind of the behind-the-scenes look at how sports is run as a business, which he does get into that with Dr. Jerry Buss, how he got to own the Lakers and some of the things he had to do to keep the team afloat when the NBA was not the most popular game in town. And also some of the um, clubhouse stuff where, you know, we always think, oh, this team should just trade this guy or designate this guy for assignment. It's actually, well, there are some personalities there that have to mesh and get along and work together, maybe less so in baseball than basketball. But certainly it's not just as easy as saying, okay, just trade this guy, release this guy. Uh, So I do, I I always like that kind of inside inside the baseball i guess if you will uh look at sports and so and it's it's funny it's 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 raunchy um anything everything you'd want out of a adam mckay produced tv show but uh, definitely check out uh winning time on hbo max or you know borrow your parents subscription if you need to so well that'll do it for us this week on royals review reviews uh thanks again to uh, greg walker for joining us this week and for jeremy and matthew for being on as usual and thank you for everyone at home for listening and for everyone at Royals review we'll talk to you next time hey!